0: Hey friends, thanks for checking out this message from Believers Chapel today. We hope that God speaks to you in a personal, powerful way. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the Word of God with us. That's good. You can go ahead and sit down if you haven't already. Hallelujah. It is good to be here with you guys. Just me? No? It's good to be here with you guys. Listen, I've been getting over a little bit of a sickness, so if you hear me, like, squeal or anything or sound quiet, I'm not going through puberty. It's just me getting over, you know, what was going on, so I may have some weird uh, side effects with that. Um, you know what's funny? To me, the hardest part about preaching is this part right here, where I'm going to try to make small talk with you, but I'm actually just trying to get my notes open and get to the scriptures and stuff. I'm supposed to be able to say something like, oh, how was your day today? I'm just terrible at that, but... Uh, Okay, I think I've got this stuff ready to go. I think we're good to go. So I'm really glad to be here with you in the building. I'm so glad to be in Syracuse. Uh, I love Syracuse. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, uh, I'm called the online pastor. And so I'm normally traveling all the time and I'm just with you guys online. Those of you watching online, so happy to be here with you normally. I'm where you were sitting, just type in there in the chat and be like, hallelujah, I'm here, Pastor Joey. And normally I'm interacting with you over there. But man, I love being here in the building. And I love the atmosphere in this room when we're worshiping together. Don't don't take for granted that whole experience. Really, I hope you know. Like, online worship is great. And I'm glad that I have that as opposed to nothing. But... I don't know, just the energy, the charge, the atmosphere in the room is really, really fantastic. So thank you for worshiping with me. Thank you for coming here and meeting with me and creating time in your life to say, I'm going to prioritize going to the house of God, learning from him, worshiping him. That's really, really incredible. And we live in a world today where that's, I feel like that is just slowly becoming less and less important. But you prioritized it, and that's awesome. You can give yourselves a round of applause for that because you should. That, That really makes or breaks some incredible things in your life. Um, I'm really glad to be in Syracuse, not just at Believer's Chapel. This is the home of Wegmans. This is where Wegmans, I think I've told you guys how much I just love. Every time I come back to New York, I just look forward to the opportunity to walk into Wegmans. And before I even buy anything, I just kind of stand there, probably creeping some people out. And I just kind of open my hand up and just, it's Wegmans, you know. Um, I'm from Syracuse. I was born and raised in central New York. Uh, I was born and raised in church, actually. I had some the the wonderful opportunity of having Christian parents and growing up hearing about the gospel. That is very important. But um, I don't know how many of you know about my life prior to ministry here. Before I was Joey the pastor, I was actually Joey the rock musician and emo kid. Rock star. And uh, somebody yelled, somebody knows the band name. Who got, yeah. Um, So, I was, does anybody not know what emo music, what emo means? Emo means emotional. And it's like this rock music movement that kind of started in the 80s, but it was still going on when I uh, was around, around high school time for me. And it's actually still around today. There's a whole new like emo scene. And uh, when I was graduating high school, my parents were starting to go through divorce. And it was so hard on me. It was really messy Like divorce in general just can be really messy. And I felt like I had a lot of crises in my life all going on at once. Because life is not, you know, you don't have just isolated incidents, right? Life is all these things strung together and they all kind of impact each other. And I felt like things were falling apart. So when I was pursuing music and I wanted to be a rock and roll musician, I wanted to write music and play electric guitar, I wasn't really just looking for rock music. I was really looking for more than that. I wanted to kind of reinvent myself and kind of start to take control of the things in my life that I felt like were falling apart. And so I was able to kind of start doing that with this emo music scene. So what I would do is I would intentionally dress in clothes and in colors that would make me seem kind of moody and kind of disturbed and kind of upset. And I would talk and speak in a way that makes me seem like I have a lot of despair because I was finding comfort in being a part of a community that would sort of do that that way. And, and they would kind of use their pain to sort of redefine themselves in community. I was just looking to get some control of my life by using what I thought was painful and, and taking it and harnessing it. You know what I mean? And so, <laughs> this is embarrassing, but it, this knowledge can't hurt me now. So I'm just going to share this with you and be honest. When I was getting into the emo music scene, skinny jeans were just starting to get popular. And you couldn't buy them in the States, though. They were kind of mostly in Europe and in in other areas. And there were some people, though, if they were, like, truly emo, they would find ways to get a hold of skinny jeans. And a lot of people cheated by buying women's jeans. So, yeah, we did. Okay, so I I was, like, ready to commit, right? So I bought myself a pair of, you know, non-men's jeans. And um, I started wearing them, you know, to shows and concerts where I would perform or concerts where I would go watch other bands that I really like perform. And, you know, I mean, did they fit? No, because they're just, you know, they're, they're just, well, they're not made for men. So I was, you know, but I was willing to do anything to really kind of belong to this scene where I could prove that I'm like a part of what's going on, where we are taking the pain, the difficulty, anything that was like acceptable by pop culture, we would try to look for the opposite of that. Like that's what you would do. You would say, oh, this is acceptable. Oh, this is cool. Oh, this is what high schoolers do. I'm going to find the dark opposite to that. And I'm just going to embrace that. And that's going to be me. That's really what I did. But I wasn't really, I was doing this subconsciously. I wasn't aware that while I was getting involved in this scene, I was really trying to reinvent myself. I was trying to uh, reinterpret how I interact with people around me, and I was trying to stabilize my relationships with people around me and just get control of my life. Now, I'm not the only person who has done this, and I'm sure some of you have tried to do this before in your life where things have gotten out of control, and you said, well, here's the deal. I'm not just gonna sit by and do nothing. I'm gonna take control. And so whatever avenue you discovered best that seemed to make sense for you to do that, that's what you would do. Maybe you used money. I know how to use money. I know how to earn money. I know how to be smart with my money. I'm going to take control of my life with money. I I know how to use sex. Maybe it's pornography. Pornography became an avenue or an opportunity to try to take some control of the pain and the hurt and the things that you'd experience in your life. We all find something. And for me, that was the rock emo music scene, trying to reestablish myself and reinterpret what my life should be and, and gain some stability. And here's the thing. It worked for a while. Like when I started off with this, I was happy because I felt like I belonged to a huge new group of people and that I had an identity that I could define and that I could control. And... The the weird thing about the whole movement was that, like, you were only accepted if you could prove that you're not accepted. Like, you have to prove that you're an outcast in order to actually not be an outcast in the emo scene. And it sounds ironic and contradictory, but that's just how we felt things should be. It's how we saw things. And the truth is, at the end of the day, all of that broke down. It failed me. Not because there's anything specifically awful about the rock scene or the emo music scene, but because what I did was I said I'm going to solve my problems by reinventing myself and redefining the relationships of those around me. And in the end, that just didn't work. If you want to try to take control of your life and fix an identity issue in your heart, or if you are really trying to find a way to make yourself fit in in the world and have stronger, healthier relationships – I'm telling you that you can't do this properly without leaning into God. And I learned that the hard way. Even as a Christian who knew who God was and went to church and read the Bible, I somehow missed that whole idea. It was just foreign to me, and I felt like I was under attack. So as we talk this morning, I want you to keep in mind two really huge things. I'm going to have two kind of grand ideas that I want you to hold on. Two, as we go through this today. Number one, the further you are from God, the less you're going to understand yourself, okay? I'm gonna say that one more time because I think that's really important. The further you are from God and your relationship with God, the less you will be able to understand yourself and who you are. Number two, if you don't have intimacy, closeness with God, then your intimacy with others is always gonna be lacking and you're always gonna feel it and you're always gonna know it. So let's dive into the scriptures. We're actually going to look at the very first instance of thought pollution that really took place that challenged our identity and our ability to have relationships with people around us. We're going to go all the way back to the book of Genesis. It's the very first book of the Bible, and we're going to start in Genesis chapter 3. Check this out. This is verse 1. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now we're going to stop right there. We have more verses to read, but I want you to check this out. This is really important. It says that the serpent was crafty. This is huge, okay? This does not mean that the serpent was evil. This does not mean that the serpent was dubious. The Hebrew word for crafty actually means wise. Wisdom is not a bad thing. Wisdom is a good thing. But as we read, you're going to notice something. This is not wisdom that comes from God. See, up to this point in the Bible, we've only had three chapters of the Bible so far, but up until this point, every time you understand something as being wise or it's knowledge or it's good, it comes from God. But we've just been introduced to an idea where there's wisdom, but it's not coming from God. It's coming from the serpent. It's the serpent's wisdom. It comes from creation. God created, the serpent is a creature. He was created by God, and this is wisdom from him, not wisdom from God. That's important. Pay attention as we keep going. Jump into verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Okay, here we go. This is huge. Again, we got to look at words here. This passage of scripture says that the serpent said, God knows that when you eat of the fruit, your eyes will be opened. This word, know, has a really important meaning in the text that sometimes the word no in English just doesn't carry. It's actually unique and specific. For example, if I were to say to you, I know for a fact that strawberry cake from Wegmans is really, really good. Somebody's had it and you know I'm right. Strawberry cake is really good. Like I know that it's delicious and I know Wegmans makes the best one. That's not the kind of knowledge we're talking about here. The word know here, when talking about who God is and what God knows, is unique to God because God is the creator of all creation. Everything comes from him. So God has intimate, exclusive maker's knowledge about everything. God is the one who defined what everything is. God is the one who gets to decide and interpret how everything works, what everything is for. God is the one who truly 100% knows you inside and out better than you will ever know you because God defines you. God gets to determine what truly makes us, us, right? So when the serpent says, God knows that your eyes will be opened and you will be like him knowing good and evil, the serpent is putting out this idea. How about instead of letting God have this exclusive knowledge about everything that he made, how about you get to decide what makes humanity work? He's planting an idea. Pick this up. This is huge. This is cool. The serpent is saying, hey, you've always interpreted goodness and yourself and, and things around you in ways that God determined. But what if we pursued happiness and love and relationships and joy and pleasure, but we did it where God is not the one determining things you are? How about you get to play the maker? How about you take control and you get to be the one who says, you know, no, 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 I'm not just going to say something's good because God says it's good. I'm going to determine what's good. I'm going to grab some control. Do you guys see the danger in that? Do you see what's coming before it's even happened? So the serpent essentially is saying, if you keep defining yourself by God's standards, you're missing out. And Eve is starting to go, hmm, you know what, maybe this sounds kind of appealing. Let's keep reading verse 6. It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a light to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. Now this is also really cool and really important. Up until this point, if you guys have never read this before, I strongly encourage you to go back and read Genesis chapters 1 and 2. And then relook at these few verses in the beginning of Genesis 3. This is, when you go home today and you have lunch, after you go to Wegmans and you get some strawberry cake, because I've planted that idea in you, when you're sitting down, open up the Bible and read Genesis chapters 1 and 2, because you're going to notice something. In the first two chapters, when God is making the universe, the Bible says that God looked at something and said it was good. He makes the sun and the moon and the stars, and he says it is good. He makes animals. He said it is good. He makes plant life and birds and fish, and he says it is good. Why? Not just because God looks at it and says, oh, that's really cool. Look at that thing I made. God determines that it's good because he has that knowing, exclusive maker's knowledge. God gets to define what it is, and God says that it's good. But check this out. All of a sudden now, it says that Eve looked at the fruit, and it says that she saw that it was good. We've crossed a threshold in our story. We've crossed a line. No longer is it just God who gets to determine what is good and what is not good. Do you see that? No longer is it God who just gets to define what is good and not good. Now Eve, the woman, is saying, I'm going to decide that it's good. I'm looking at that, and that fruit is good. God said, don't touch it. Yeah, but that fruit looks good. And it's supposed to make a person wise. hmm The serpent's idea is already taking hold. It's already starting to have an effect before she's even done anything. Why don't you decide what is good and what is not good? Stop letting God hog all of that wisdom. Stop letting God hog all of that knowledge. Stop giving God so much control. You take some control. Maybe I will. That fruit looks good. That is the power of thought pollution. And there is a direct polluted thought here because the serpent is aware of this. The serpent knows that all along so far everything seems hunky-dory for Adam and Eve, but they've only been defining themselves by God's standards. And so the serpent sees something, an opportunity, and says, I can get you to reinvent yourself and to take control by presenting to you a problem. Church, I did this. I did this when I saw a problem. I had some issues in my life and I didn't know how to deal with them. And instead of turning around and saying, God, what do I do with them? I said, well, I got to take control. So let's change who Joey is. Well, I got to take control. So let's change how I interact with all of the other people around me. There is this theme. There is this trend today where young people especially, they decide to define themselves by their anxiety and their trauma. We take our pain and then we use it in, 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 a, in a manner in which we can kind of present ourselves as a person defined by our anxiety and our trauma. And on social media especially, this is really prevalent, where if you can present yourself as the most traumatized or the person dealing with anxiety the most, you're going to garner the most sympathy, you're going to garner the most attention, and you're going to garner the most, for you, love. That's the idea. Well, I'm going to define myself then by my pain. And it's ironic that social media has the ability to have us more interconnected than we've ever been before. But study after study continuously shows that the more people do this kind of thing on social media, they are reported to be the most lonely. It doesn't seem to be working. Let's define ourselves by our pain and our trauma so that people will recognize us and identify us that way, and that'll somehow give me some control. There's other ways that this is really popular and is happening today, and it's a term called intersectionality. I don't know if you've ever heard that term, but here's what we can do with intersectionality. I can take certain factors about you and redefine you using them and and figuring out how oppressed you are. I can take your gender or lack of gender, I can take your social uh, and cultural background. I can take your ethnicity. I can take your race. I can take your economic status. I can take your sexual orientation. I can take a host of other factors, and I can use them to recreate an identity for you that will determine how the rest of the world understands you and interacts with you. But all this is All of these things are just attempts for all of us to stop and say, well, I don't feel like I understand myself, and I don't feel like I know how to have real intimacy with others, so what can I do to fix that? I'm going to take control, and I'm going to reinvent myself. I'm going to try to find a way to establish myself as a person who now understands their relationships, and other people understand me, and I feel like I understand myself. Again, what's happening here? This is all wisdom. These are bright ideas. These are good ideas. But it's not God's wisdom because God's not even in the picture. In the story, who's in the garden? Not God. And he's kind of the star of the show. Have you read the Bible? But he's not there. We are able to try to take these things in our life and say, well, I got some good ideas. And we don't mean to do this consciously. But what we're doing is we're usurping God's position and saying, but if I act as God... And if I take control, I can still say that I know God and I like God and I go to church. But ultimately, I'm the one who gets to decide who I am and how I interact with everybody else. Makes sense? But this always broke down for me. It will always break down for everyone else. And it broke down for Adam and Eve. I started talking this morning about how we interact with others and how our personal relationships matter too. It's not just our identity. This story deals with that too. So let's keep reading. We're going to go to verse 7 here. It says, then the eyes of both, this is Adam and Eve, were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Look, there's that word again. Their eyes were opened and they knew that word know. I want to be God and define who I am and how people interact with me, but do you know what this knowledge did with Adam and Eve? It tore them apart from each other. This act Completely ruined their relationship. And let me, we're gonna read it, let me read another passage of scripture, because I'm gonna make that make more sense. We're gonna back up a few verses. We're gonna go to Genesis chapter 2, and we're gonna read verses 23, 24, and 25. Check this out. This is Adam and Eve's relationship when they first meet each other. The man said, This is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh she shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. This phrase, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone, this is so cool. This is Adam looking at Eve and going, I know you. And no no no, not like I not like I know you like a friend knows you. Not I know you like family knows you. Not even just I know you like best best friends know you. This is Adam looking at her and going, you're like me. And I'm like you. And we are made in the image of God. So in that sense how God decided we are like God. There is perfect harmony, perfect intimacy in this beautiful exclusive Knowledge of a relationship between the man and the woman and God, and nothing is tarnishing it, nothing is tainting it. But then they eat the fruit, and the fruit is supposed to make them more like God, but instead, it makes it so that now when they look at each other, they don't even recognize each other. Before they had this perfect intimacy, and now when they see each other, they go, You're naked. Right? We had intimacy. We had unity. We had closeness. We had an identity. But we said, well, what if I try to take control and I try to make it better, and I pull God out of the picture? Instead, we get pulled apart, separated, segregated. We're not defined by the things that make us alike anymore. We're defined by our differences. That's what segregation in the world is. And we've been defining ourselves by our differences ever since. Before it said that Adam and Eve were naked. This does not just mean they were physically naked. This means that they literally had this beautiful transparency where nothing was hidden. Nothing has to be covered up. They're defined by their love and their beauty and their intimacy. But then they decide to take the knowledge for themselves and now they define themselves by their shame. Do you see that? You guys are awfully quiet. Is this word a little too heavy? Should I back off a little bit? This is is just what's going on in the world today. We all have this attempt, for me, the emo rock scene, as much as I still love it. Look, I still wear skinny jeans. I didn't abandon all of my, you know, and I still love rock and roll music. But at the end of the day, I tried to put on this fig leaf that said, "I, I just need to find some way to cover up. And everybody still struggles with this. I need to find some way to cover myself up. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna take my success I'm going to take my ability to advance, my ability to be smart, and I'm going to use that to define me. And I want other people to understand me as the person who's smart. Or I'm going to be the bully. I want people to understand that I'm tough. I don't want them to know that I'm afraid of anything, so I'm going to pick on people. I'm going to be little women, and I'm going to push people around so that people know that you don't mess with me. Or I'm going to use humor. You know what? I want to be known as the funny guy that people laugh at because then they're not going to know how actually I'm really super insecure and I'm not comfortable with myself. So I'll just create a persona about me that defines me like this. Or I'm gonna join this political ideological movement, or I'm gonna join this activist group over here, or whatever it is, I'm gonna reinvent myself. And that's gonna solve my problems. But God is our maker, and he understands every minute and minuscule atom that makes up who you are. If you want to understand yourself, if you want to know who you really are, and if you want to have a healthy relationship with others because you know who you are, the answer is not to take control. The answer is to lean into God and spend more time with him. Weren't we just worshiping about that this morning? Do you see the connection there? We were just singing, God, we surrender to you, do what you want to. Here's the irony of that wonderful song to do what God wants, you have to sometimes not do what you want. And I know, guys, that it is easier said than done to say, well, I'm just going to let God take control, and I'm just going to sit back and spend time with him, and everything else is going to be fine. Most people will look at you and will say, that's nonsense. You're letting your life fall apart. You need to take control. I get it. There's pressure to do something about it. It's hard to step back and say, I'll let God take the reins. But if we can learn anything from this incredible important story about how sin entered the world in the first place, it is that that is the root of all of our problems. If you were to walk out into society right now and say to somebody, hey, you know what? From now on, you get to define what is good and what is not good. The average person will say, awesome. I'm in control. I love that. But the author of Genesis has gone out of his way to try to illustrate that you taking control and defining what is good and not good, that's literally the worst thing that could befall humanity. Wow. Countercultural, yeah. Exposing thought pollution, yeah. Let's read, I wanna talk about what this looks like though because I've been saying that you need to know God and spend more time with God to try to reinvent yourself and define yourself. There's a Bible verse that sums this up perfectly and we're gonna read it. It's in 1 John chapter four. This is one of the greatest verses in all of scripture to me. It says, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever has love has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love God does not know God because God is love. Boom. There it is in plain language. God is love. You want love? Does anybody here want love? Come on, really? We're all good without it? Really? I would love to follow you around for a day and see how true that is, that you're okay if you don't have love. Or maybe that's the fig leaf you've been putting on. You know what? I don't need love. I'm okay having no one. I'm fine with just myself. That's good. Yeah, that's a fig leaf, y'all. We all want love. We were created for it. We were designed for it. It's natural to want it. But God is love. Not the scene you want to jump into and use to define yourself, not the activities that you want to use to define you, not the way that you can somehow master manipulate the lives of those around you to control how they see you and to make sure that they only know certain things about you. That's not love. It's a fig leaf. That's seizing knowledge for yourself and playing God, the maker. It's okay that we're not the maker, but if you get to know God more, if you spend more time with him, all of the sudden love starts to make sense. Doors start to get unlocked, and you start to recognize what love really is, what intimacy really is, what transparency really looks like. I loved, last week, Pastor Bethany preached. And she preached this great message. And if you haven't heard it, go back and listen to it. All of our messages you can find on our website. Go to believerschapel.org and there's a tab that says messages. Click on it and there's lots of different ways where you can watch and listen to sermons. Um, There's some great stuff in there. I highly encourage you to go back and spend some Devo time of your own if you want looking at these. But she specifically mentioned that when an idea comes along, when a situation in your life comes along, she said stop and reflect. Have a moment of reflection and ask yourself, is this what God wants? how different everything would have been if when the serpent came up to Adam and Eve and the serpent said, hey, you know what? Stop letting God hog all of that exclusive knowledge of being in charge and defining everything. You get to define everything. What if Eve stopped and said, that's an interesting idea. I'm going to go back to God and talk to him about it. I'm going to go find him and I'm going to see what God says about this idea that you gave me. How different things would have been. Instead, God wasn't there. And Satan took a beautiful opportunity to say, hey, while God is away, let's have the children redefine things for us. I want to propose two wonderful suggestions for you guys because I've told you that this is a problem that society faces, but what do we do about it, right? Well, I'm going to give you some really specific, simple answers. Number one, spend more time with God. If you're thinking to yourself, look, I already try, good. Good. I'm glad you're trying. That is important, and I'm not going to belittle that. But all of us can afford to spend more time with God than we are. Because if you really look at the span of your day, and I were to ask you, what is the biggest influence? If God's getting about 10 minutes, I'm glad you're getting the 10 minutes. But I guarantee you that that 10 minutes gets overshadowed real quick by the two, three, four hours of whatever else is really consuming you. How different we would be if we just spent more time with the God who defines us. And reading your Bible is super important. Spending time in prayer is important. Going to church is important. And I will not diminish any of those things. But I challenge all of you. This week, I want you to consider sitting down, maybe before you do anything else. Get up 10 minutes early. Good Lord, I know. it's Thank you, Jesus. It's hard to do, right? Get up 10 minutes early. Sit in God's presence with no agenda and say, okay, God, just be with me. Let's be quiet together. God is not some ball of gas in the sky that, that doesn't have personality or that doesn't have any substance to it. God, we can spend time with God like you spend with people. We're just not used to that. We're used to trying to feed all of our needs and define ourselves with a million other things we have. All of us can afford to try to spend more time with God than we are. It'll make a huge difference. Are there any young people sitting in church today? Is there anybody who's like a teenager? You're watching online. Those of you online, if you're young, I know we have volunteers who are teens. Who's, who's in the room that's a teenager? Mark, yeah, amen, you're like 16. Um, Lizzie, I know you're here. There's some people who are younger. If you're young, I really want you to hear me, okay? I want to speak to some young people. I get wanting to fix your pain. Look, I was a teenager and I was angry. I was mean. I had angst and I found ways to make myself not be mean or angry by creating an identity. I get that that seems like a solution and I don't blame people for trying it because I tried it, but I just want to save young people some time. You will never be able to recreate an identity that really, really solves all your problems. And that actually gives you the love and the value and the identity that you're looking for. It, it, at some point, it might work for you for five years. It might work for you for 20 years or so you think. But at some point, it breaks down. You were designed and created by God, your creator, and only he can really define who you are and what your life should look like. And if you're struggling with that, spend more time with him. Lean in to him. Amen? I got one more suggestion for you. I'm going to wrap this up. I love to talk. I can talk forever. I know I got to get a hold of that. Check this out. Intimacy with others. Okay, so spend more time with God? Absolutely. We need to be closer with each other. When church is over today, and you walk outside of those doors, and you go into the lobby, before you even step foot on that threshold, I want you to stop and say, God, who do you want me to connect with today? God, who in this church needs a friend? Maybe it's me and I need a friend. Maybe it's everybody in here. But ask God to help you really connect with somebody and not just do the surface. How you doing? I'm good. God is good. Praise the Lord. Oh, that's awesome. I'm so glad that every Christian has everything working out great for them. Let's drop that for a second and actually try to be willing to build relationships and be authentic With each other. Come on, how how helpful that will be? Because guys, look, Christians do this too. I grew up in a culture where I remember being under this idea that even as a Christian man, if I act like I care about intimacy, then I'm being less masculine. That's a feminine thing. I remember hearing people talk about this idea where if women act like they value intimacy and women want closeness, then they're actually being weak. They're acting like the weaker sex. I remember hearing this idea that if men and women try to have intimacy with each other, it always has to end in sex. None of that is true. You were created by God to be able to have really good, close, valuable friendship with one another. We had God, we had Adam, we had Eve, and we had no shame. We had no guilt, and we had transparency. You need that. I need that. We try to invent ways to control that, but you're not going to really be able to do it like you want unless God's at the center of it. You feeling me? Is this making sense? Amen. All right, look, I'm going to close. I want to invite the prayer team to come up. I want to invite elders to come up. Uh, Come up onto this altar right here. And as we are spending the next few minutes praying, if you got to go, you got to go. I get it. I'll see you at Wegmans. Go get some strawberry cake. But for those of you who are willing to stay and linger for a few extra minutes, I want you to try to just spend no agenda. Come hang out here at the altar. Spend time with God try it. You will not regret it. If you do, come and sue me. I'll be walking around. I'm sure I'll be in the lobby. You can find me, and I'll somehow pay you back with a Wegman strawberry cake. Now, i got to stop goofing around. Seriously, I want you to spend a few minutes in the presence of God, and then I want you to really think about opening up your life to have actual closeness with people to have real intimacy with people. Because as you lean into God and spend more time with him, you're gonna find that healthy relationships start to make more sense to you. You're gonna be able to identify them a little better. You're gonna be able to create more healthy boundaries that God wants to set for you, where you know who to trust and who not to trust. It'll happen. I promise. Stop running to everything else and let God be the one who defines you and your relationships. Amen? Amen? All right, I'm just gonna spend like five minutes here. If you guys wanna come and be prayed for, that's fine. I'll pray with you too, I'm gonna hang out right here. We're just gonna spend five minutes. You can stay where you are, you can bow your head there, but spend a few minutes with God before you get out of here today. Cool. Thanks again for checking out this message from Believer's Chapel. You know, the Bible says in Romans 10, 13, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And it's our hope that you will make today that day to call upon the name of the Lord and to give your life to him. If you'd like to speak to a pastor, please take out your phone, text 315-444-2100, and somebody from our team will be in touch with you. Also, if you're making the decision to follow Jesus from the first time today, text the word JESUS to that number, 315-444-2100. And we would love to celebrate with you. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.